Welcome back to another episode of the TR Hoops podcast, Tobacco Road Hoops, with your host, Jeremy Shaheen. In this podcast, we're going to talk about a few things, the Carolina-Duke game. When Carolina came in this past Saturday night and spoiled Coach K's last home game, home game as well as the situation after the game with Chris Carrowell and Hubert Davis and how that unfolded. And I'm also going to be talking about a little bit about, uh, we've heard it recently, how Roy Williams went out and left Carolina and retired and how Coach K is going out and leaving Duke and retiring and the different ways they're going about it. And also at the end, I give my ACC awards and then my national uh, awards for the college basketball season. First of all, let's start with the game. Uh, obviously a Duke-UNC game, a lot of hype going into it. But this one felt different. Um, this one was different. It was Coach K's last game at home, a different environment. Um, it was almost like a Super Bowl. I know the tickets were close to Super Bowl tickets at Cameron Indoor Stadium in Durham. A lot of the Duke legends uh, were back. Jay Williams, Shane Battier, J.J. Redick, almost 100 players um, and, and that's not including only one current NBA player, Grayson Allen, was able to get back. Um, but uh, it was just almost, it was like a spectacle there in Durham, at, at, in Cameron. And, uh, you know, like I said, the legends were back um, and players from four different decades uh, that loved Coach K, that played under Coach K, were back to celebrate him uh, for one last time at home. And to mention, Coach K, he's seen everything. He's been on bad teams. He's been on good teams. Um, but he hasn't seen what this environment, what this spectacle was like. Um, there had never been anything like it. Uh, the media, the days leading up, people, uh, media all over the country coming to the game, uh, even a couple days before the game, walking around campus, um, all the different stories that were out about him, um, you know, just... It was, it was really incredible uh, to see what was going on there and something we've never seen before. And just the routine was different for Duke um, it, it leading up to that game and the amount of pressure that these 18, 19-year-old kids had on them. You know, I think it would have been, who knows what would have happened because nobody's ever been in this situation. Um, but if maybe an older team like the 2009-2010 senior-led, junior-led team you know, maybe they handled that situation better, but it felt like it was all the pressure on the Duke team um, from legends that were there at the game and, and doing it for Coach K. And they had already wrapped up the, the regular season uh, title for the ACC. They had already wrapped up, wrapped up the first seed in the ACC tournament. Uh, so it felt like a standalone game, a game of its own, uh, just doing it for Coach K. And, you know, the mentality coming into the game for each team was so vastly different. On one hand, you had Duke where it almost felt like the game was didn't really matter for some reason. It was the beginning. It was the days leading up. It was after when Coach K was going to talk. It didn't. The focus was not on, not that it didn't matter. It's a rivalry game. But the focus was not on the game itself, uh, which was, was obviously part of the problem where you know, there was really nothing around it. I mean, it was it was a madness there. And then you have UNC, who had gotten beaten by 20 earlier in the year, about a month ago at home against Duke. And, uh, you know, they had nothing to lose. No pressure. They could play freely. Nobody expected them to have a chance in the game. Um, you know, they were going in focused. I got to give credit to Hubert 
uh, for focusing that group and getting them motivated and ready and the game plan ready to, to head over to Durham and, and shock a lot of people and, and upset their night. Um, and in a way, it felt like, like I said, for Duke, it was just, you know, if they had won, you know, it wouldn't really be remembered that much um, that, you know, they won another home game for Coach K and, and the main event was what he did before and after the game. But on the other hand, if Carolina won, it would be one of their greatest wins and definitely their best win of the season um, and one of the better wins in the rivalry for them. So it was just so much, such a different mindset from each team and, and ways they approached the game and, and had to approach the game going in. I think it was set up for Duke to have a downfall and, and that's kind of what we saw in the first play. Uh, Mark Williams wins the tip. He hits it uh, under the basket, under Carolina's basket. Wendell Moore gets it and slips and slips it out of bounds. So there's your first turnover, less than two seconds in, um, and that kind of set the tone for Duke. And then the first play for Carolina was a Caleb Love pass to Baycott for a dunk, and uh, you know Baycott, another great game. Um, he went right at Mark Williams, who we just found out won Defensive Player of the Year in the conference. Um, and, uh, you know, he had, he had a couple early fouls, Baycott, there was a call with Mark Williams, a block call that was close. Um, and, uh, you know, Baycott was hungry. You could just tell, I mean, this team was fired up. They were going to do anything they could to get this win. They were very aggressive and, um, their mindset was just different than Duke's. Duke, uh, you could tell right away they had a lack of focus and they, they were not ready for the game. They were not ready for Carolina's first punch and Carolina's hunger and want to you know get a win that they needed to secure themselves and feel good in, about uh, their spot in the NCAA tournament and the ACC. And you know strategically, Hubert started the game Baycott on Mark Williams, which was different from Baycott starting on Paulo back in Chapel Hill, and then Manic was on Paulo, and Leakey was on AJ Griffin. And AJ had an extremely hard, difficult night, um, and you got to credit Leakey for shutting him out of the game. AJ had his career game back at at the Dean Dome, and uh, Leakey took it personal. They all took it personal that Carolina team to stay in front of their man and, and guard as a team, and um, even Brady Manick. I mean, it seemed like the game plan for UNC defensively was to let Paulo get whatever he wanted and you know, make him work for it. And, you know, if he scores 50, well, you know, the other team, the other, you know, his other teammates, Keels, Griffin, uh, you know, they can, they'll be limited. Um, so Paulo shot 26 times for 23 points. And any anytime you're a defender and your guy scores 23 points and 26 shot, shots, you'll take that any day. Um, so I think Manic actually did a really good job. He made it tough for Paulo. Some were easy, but you know, he played straight up with them. They didn't double team. Um, and I was really, again, like I've said on this podcast, impressed with Brady Manick. You know, offensively, he needs no space. Um, you know, and another thing, you got to give Hubert a lot of credit for his game plan and even the way he went to go on a, on a separate subject, go get Brady Manick. I mean, Brady Manick, he's never wearing a Carolina uniform. He's never in that, that Carolina blue without Hubert Davis. If Roy Williams was in that head coaching job, you would never see Brady Manick in Chapel Hill. Um, so you got to give uh, Hubert a ton of credit for going out and getting him and, and just a perfect piece, a perfect fit 
with Baycott, who's the dominant low post uh, scorer he is. When Roy retired uh, this past summer, uh, you know, I was telling people that Hubert's a better coach than Roy is now, and a lot of people didn't want to believe it. You know, obviously Roy, what he's done, he's his resume, I mean, he's one of the greatest ever, but this very moment, um, I just felt like, uh, you know, Roy had been 32 and 30 his last couple years, um, and, you know, just with the way things have changed, and um, I just felt that Hubert was a better choice than Roy was, and I think he felt the same way, and, um, you know, we're seeing uh, Hubert do a great job at this point and learning every single day under the under that head coaching role. And when I say change, I mean just the way basketball is played differently now. Uh, you know, the two big system that Roy had in place is uh, guys don't really want to play in that anymore. I mean, it did work for the longest time, but, you know, guys, you see guys like more like Brady Manick now where they're stepping outside, being very versatile, um, and that kind of too big system just has gone away a bit. Guys are able to be more ball-friendly now and step outside and, and do more things, and and we saw that change for Hubert uh, right as he came in. That was that seemed to be at the top of his list of changing the brand of basketball that they play at Carolina. But back to the basketball game this past Saturday night at Cameron. Baycott was making incredibly tough layup shots around the rim on Mark Williams, going right at him, using his strength. Um, he dominated the game like he's been doing all season. I thought the key moment of this game was... When Duke was, uh, you know, they weren't playing well, but they were actually up eight points, 41 to 33, um, with a minute left in the half, and UNC got the ball. Um, actually, Paolo had missed the front end of a one and one, and Trevor Keels also missed the front end of a one and one. So there's four points that Duke let slide by. Uh, but Carolina got a wide open three from Brady Manick. Uh, Paolo overhelped, and there's your wide open three, so they cut it to five. And then at the last play of the half, Duke had four fouls as a team, and you have to get seven fouls for uh, the other team to be in the bonus. So Duke had two fouls to give before the half, and a lot of teams will do that to disrupt the rhythm or disrupt the play that the other team is calling um, with like a few seconds left in the half. Um, and Duke never did that. They let R.J. Davis do his thing and get off a shot, and I think that was a, you know, a, a bad player and coaching error on Duke's end, and, and Carolina goes into the half down two instead of what could have been eight points, maybe a little more. Um, and, and I thought that was really a key moment of the game where Carolina had all the momentum heading into halftime and felt really good about themselves um, going into that half. Once the second half opened up, it was, you know, the floodgates opened for Carolina. They scored 55 points in the second half. That's the most since Duke has allowed 55 points in the second half since 2017. Um, you know, Carolina just carved up Duke's defense, and that's been Duke's calling card. That's been their identity, really, uh, for most of this season is their defense and keeping people in, um, you know, lower percentage of shooting and guarding that three-point line. And um, UNC, like I said, they just carved it up, and it was pretty much the same play that they kept running. It was a pick-and-roll for the guard, either Caleb Love or R.J. Davis up top. They forced Mark Williams up there, um, and, and Baycott would get to the basket. So it was almost like he would set the, the pick, the screen up top and um, roll, and the, Duke, the, the guy guarding the basketball for Duke, the guy guarding either R.J. Davis or Caleb Love would get lost, and 
Um, it was kind of like a one-on-two situation for Carolina, R.J. Davis and Baycott against Mark Williams. And so he had to pick his poison. Does R.J. Davis, you know, shoot the jump shot? Does he shoot the floater? Or does Mark help towards him? And then he can give a pass for a wide-open dunk or layup for Baycott. So Dukes, the way they, they did not adjust at all defensively, um, and that was uh, that really hurt them. Um, I was really impressed with R.J. Davis. I thought he played probably his best game in that, as far as situation goes. I mean, this was the, the, the biggest win he's been he's he's had at Carolina. Uh, most of these guys, um, you know, with everything going on with the, you know, they this they needed a, a, a quad one win. This is their best win of the season by far, uh, not even close. And um, you know that Duke's defense just got manhandled. Um, and, and UNC didn't even play a sub in the second half. Uh, a couple of their guys played 40 minutes. Puff Johnson played in the first half, but he qu- picked up three quick fouls. And I thought another, um, like I talked about that play up top with Carolina, Baycott would set the screen, and uh, then he would roll. But then there would be Brady Manick. When Baycott was rolling to the basket, he would set a screen for Baycott. Um, so he got open some. Uh, through that and then Manic would pop out on the three-point line after he did that for an open three. Um, so UNC was running that multiple times and, and succeeding each you know, most times. It felt like Duke couldn't stop them at all and it felt like if Duke was going to have a chance to win they were going to have to score on every possession as well um, because they just couldn't get a stop. Um, so you got to give credit to Carolina. They have a, a potent, a really good offense and great shooters to surround Baycott in the middle. Another key stat is Carolina had 22 free throws to Duke's eight free throws. And some people may say, oh, well, the refs will. No, when I look at free throws, I look at aggressiveness and who's playing um, smarter and harder and getting to the basket and getting after it. And, And UNC was the hungrier team all game. And so they got to the basket more and they got more free throws and more opportunities, um, because of that. Carolina just had a sense of urgency that Duke was not ready for. You know, it almost seemed like, and I saw before the game, uh, you know, actors and actresses were there, famous people and athletes. And I saw before the game, Wendell Moore was getting a picture with Dirk Nowitzki. I mean, it just felt like Duke didn't have a, a real task at hand focus on the game. And Carolina, that's where why they were there. They were there for the game. Um, and it almost felt like the Duke players were there just for the celebration of the event before and after and um, you know I know that was a lot of pressure on those kids and I don't fault them that's nobody nobody's ever had to deal with that before Um, but you know you got to give Carolina credit for they outplayed Duke they out toughed them uh, they out coached them they all played them in every single facet um, besides you know potential first round pick and you know that's that doesn't mean that much in college basketball in fact it doesn't mean anything um, so, you know, Duke's going to have to look in the mirror now and, um, you know, they, they have, uh, you know, this may, may ruin their season if they don't, if they're not careful and they're, you know, keep their head down and, and don't believe they can get out of this. Um, you know, they could easily lose the quarterfinal game of the ACC tournament and then lose that first game in the NCAA tournament, um, next week. After the game, Coach K spoke to the crowd. Uh, It was kind of impromptu what he first did, and he said it was unacceptable, the performance. Um, And by that, you know, he meant himself as a coach, the coaching staff, the players, 
it was all on them um, as a coach and, and the staff to have them ready to play and make adjustments during the game and as players to play with no effort and no focus. Um, and honestly, and this is just my opinion, but if there was one game to have an unacceptable performance and lack energy, and or not lack energy, but lack effort, um, it would be that Carolina game with Coach K's last game, which is weird to say and, and honestly something that's, you know, you would never think you'd say, but with all the surroundings before and after the game, days leading up prior, it was just hard to see those 18, 19-year-old kids um, be able to put everything aside and, and be focused for a game like that. So, you know, you got to give, you got to tip your hat to Carolina and the way they did come in and they were focused and they were ready to go. And, and Hubert Davis made adjustments from the first game. They were locked in and, and uh, you know, they deserved the win by far. Now, as far as the Chris Carrollwell situation, when he blew by Hubert Davis, Hubert looked stunned uh, when that happened at the end of the game. You could see his face and uh, people weren't really sure what was going on with that. But um, from at least Duke's side, I know they said that they had previous times where they didn't, where Hubert wouldn't come by before the game to shake his hands. It seemed like a lot of petty stuff. Um, and then I know it was kind of like a buildup from the Duke side that I don't think they were happy how Coach K was treated at, at Carolina. And uh, But you still, in my opinion, you have to show respect. Uh, Carolina definitely earned it. They, you know, you got to show respect. We saw the Michigan first uh, Wisconsin game when Juwan Howard got suspended for five games and then Greg Card for a game. He probably should have been suspended longer, to be honest. Um, but I did hear since then that the Duke staff, uh, Shire and Carewell, did reach out to Hubert and, and apologized, I believe. And, and from what we've heard, Hubert said that in his um, press conference leading up to the uh, ACC tournament. So, you know, I just think you've got to set the right example for the kids. Um, no matter what happens, no matter, you know, you got to shake their hand and look them in the eye. And I just think that's the right thing to do. So I think they're all good there. And, and that's in the past. I just wanted to talk about since I've been, or uh, I've seen a lot of it recently being talked about the, the way Roy retired and the way coach K retired uh, a couple different ways to do it. Roy said, you know, I'm going to be done. That was April fools. I remember, um, and, and give this program off to somebody. And, and that somebody was, Hubert, who he handpicked, um, as well as Coach K, who said, I'm going to be done. He picked John Shire for the position um, at Duke, but Coach K said he's going to finish out a year. And, um, you know, you hear from the different sides. It's always interesting to hear what people say uh, to different different opinions. Uh, on one end with Roy, you know, he just he quit on his team. He gave Hubert a tough time, you know, with having to come in um, and, and make a lot of quick decisions. And, he still hovers over the team at the Carolina games, at the home games. But then on the other hand, uh, I think Roy, you know, um, he was ready. He was just done, and he was ready to move on to something different. Those are still his players that he recruited, so he, you know, still goes to most of those games. And, you know, a lot of people think he did it the right way. And then you look at a guy like Coach K, who I said, said he's going to be done in a year. Um, and now here at the end of this, this season, um, and, and, you know, a lot of people say, oh, he just did it for his ego and he wanted to get all these awards at every, every away game. And, and, um, then you hear other people say that, you know, he wanted a, a seamless transition for John Shire. That's the way they do it at army West point, And he didn't want to lie to his recruits. And, you know, 
either way you shake it up for Roy and Coach K, I believe that you know they they obviously had the right to do whatever they wanted. They're both uh, legends in in college basketball, and um, you know two different ways, but ways that they thought were the right way to go out. And you know I respect both of their decisions, and it's uh, you know seems to be working out for Carolina. We'll see what can happen with with uh, John Shire when that happens. They do have the number one recruiting class, but you never know how it can shake out after that. So. I uh, just wanted to bring that up as I've heard a lot recently people uh, will say, you know, one way is right to do it, the other way is wrong, you know, and, and uh, you know, I think we, we owed it to Roy and, and Coach uh, Roy and Coach K that, you know, they could go out how they wanted to go out and, uh, you know, be at peace with, with both of those decisions. Now getting into the ACC awards, they came out earlier. Um, ACC awards was Alondez Williams won ACC Player of the Year. Steve Forbes took home uh, Coach of the Year in the ACC, and Mark Williams won Defensive Player of the Year in the ACC. Um, Alondez Williams led the ACC in scoring and assists, uh, and um, yeah, I th it was very close with him and Baycott. I actually gave the nod to Baycott. But I can see why they put Alondas Williams in there. It was pretty much a tie, honestly, in my eyes um, from what I had seen. And I, the only reason I thought maybe Baycott is what he did to Mark Williams the other night, um, who was the defensive player of the year. He, he ate him up um, 10 of 11, 7 rebounds, 2 blocks, 2 assists, 23 points. He's got the most double-doubles in a single season in Carolina history. Um, so, you know, he... Uh, he, I thought he was going to get it, but it was. It didn't surprise me that Alondas Williams got it. Um, he was very deserving as well. Now Mark got the Defensive Player of the Year award, 2.8 blocks per game. Um, that's typically the main factor in that award. But that Beekman, 2.1 steals per game for uh, Virginia, led the ACC. He's a really good player. But Duke was the number one defensive team. Um, it did, sure didn't look like it uh, Saturday night, but. As far as the season goes in the ACC, uh, they were rated number one in the ACC uh, for the season. And then for Steve Forbes, I mean, what a season for him. Uh, they finished fifth in the conference, but you know they had a chance there to be two or three for a while. Um, they were picked to finish 13th, and, and, and he's done a great job. Um, they were 13-7, and, and they have a chance of going to the NCAA tournament. A couple other guys I thought maybe Mike Bray had a chance at it. Um, as they finished second in the conference, they even beat Kentucky. I know that's not the ACC, but that's pretty big time to beat a team like that um, earlier in the year. Uh, just Mike Bray's a great coach, and even Coach K had a um, he had a case for for Coach of the Year in the ACC. I mean, they didn't Duke didn't make the tournament last year. Uh, their leading scorer Matthew Hurt didn't return, and they had uh, you know they ended up finishing first in the ACC. Um, with bringing in some good freshmen and some of the returning players uh, had good years. And then now with the Defensive Player of the Year in the country, I mean, this was a pretty given one. This was maybe the easiest award to give out. Uh, Walker Kessler, the blocks per game, 4.5. Uh, he's made Auburn go from 103 last year in Kempom defensively to 8th in the country. What a jump, and he's the main reason why. And then for Coach of the Year, I went with Ed Cooley in Providence, um, you know, they won the Big East for the first time, uh, first ever regular season title. They were 13-13 and 13 last year. 
Um, he hit the transfer portal hard, got Al Durham from Indiana, Justin McKay from South Carolina. Um, and the biggest thing for him, I think, is why he got this award, and there were so many deserving, but they've been 10-2 and two in games decided by less than five points, and, you know, 10-2, and two, that's, that's no fluke. Um, you know, credit the players, but also credit the coach and his decision-making. So that's why he got the nod for me. Um, and then the last award, Player of the Year, um, there were two guys that I looked at the most, Oscar Schwebway, who had 16 games or more, uh, 16 games with 15 rebounds or more, uh, five games with 20 or more. His most was 28 in the game. He also averaged 17, re uh, 17 points, 15 rebounds, 60% field goal. Um, you know, the man in the middle for Kentucky, one of the reasons they're one of the best teams in the country and got a chance to go deep in the tournament. And then you look at a guy like Johnny Davis, who averaged 20 points per game, eight rebounds. Um, he scored 30 against Houston, who's a top team, scored 37 at Purdue. Uh, multi, you know, multiple, many games of over 20 points. Um, and he's, you know, if Wisconsin doesn't have them, I'm not even sure. They, I mean, they'd be in the NIT. They'd be struggling to make the NIT. They definitely wouldn't be in the NCAA tournament. Um, and a key thing I saw was just the other day when they played Nebraska, who was 10 and 21, uh, not a very good team. Uh, they lost because Johnny got hurt. He had 10 points in 11 minutes and he got hurt. And um, that's such a sign. You know, that's a huge sign that, you know, he's their best player. And they couldn't even beat a team that, you know, was struggling just to get some wins in the Big Ten. Um, and that says uh, on the road, that was at Wisconsin. So that says a lot about Johnny and, and the way he's carried them this year. And um, he's made them one of the best teams in the country. Uh, so, you know, I, I had to go with Johnny Davis as my player of the year and, and look forward to, you know, that guy's going to make some noise in the NCAA tournament and he'll be a good NBA player for a long time. That'll do it for another week of the TR Hoops podcast with Jeremy Shaheen. Next week, we're going to be talking about the brackets that come out. Uh, it's that time now, and, and um, you know, it's it's time for tournament play. And Carolina and Duke both play this Thursday uh, to see if they can move on to the semifinals. And then um, after that, see what happens. But I always say March is the best time of the year and the saddest time of the year. All the different emotions that these teams go through. Uh, one day you feel like you're on top of the mountain, and then the next... Uh, is your season's over in the blink of an eye. Um, so we'll see what can happen here, but I'll look forward to breaking down some of the bracket and uh, following up next week.